Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. Yes, Lord. All right. Well, last week we talked about how God's inviting us into higher thinking. Anybody getting into some higher thinking? No? That's why I, that's why I started before with saying, are you alive? <laughs> that's just, I, that, was like, that was a preemptive strike on what we were about to experience as I began to question you, right? You know, are you alive? Higher thinking. God's calling us to think like he thinks, right? He's, he's calling us to, to see how he sees. And how many of you know it's pretty easy to get caught up in, in the weeds? And if you're in the weeds, you're not seeing what he sees. Remember the old movie, The Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just don't even know. Uh, movies have come a long ways. Let's just say that. They've come a long ways. You know, but when those guys were small and they were stuck in the weeds, it was pretty hard to figure out. It was disorienting, wasn't it? It was pretty hard to figure out where they were and what was going on in their environment. And, and there were, there were pitfalls in that environment, weren't there, on that particular movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. You're welcome. It, uh, <laughs> it might ruin your week. <laughs> he's calling us to think higher than that. He's calling us to look from his perspective. I see things differently when I'm standing on the roof looking down on the yard than what I do when I'm this tall and I'm stuck into the weeds of the field, right? I see things different. He's calling us to think higher. He's calling us to get up on the roof with him and to look down over our life. The, the thing with this is, and we talked about Philippians chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to hit that again today, but we can get so caught up in the, in the negative, that's the weeds, if you will, we can get so caught up in the negative of what's happening in a circumstance in our life or with individuals in our lives, you know, we can get so caught up in that, that there comes a point when all we can see is the negative, and the only way that we get there is really if we're in contrast to what we've been admonished in Scripture to do. You know, it, it, and, but, but if we begin to dwell on the negative of our life, the negative of our circumstances, we get to a point where we actually begin to experience a, a virtual blindness. We become literally out of sync with reality. And, and, and I, I don't know if this will illustrate it very well, but hopefully you'll understand. You know, if, if you figure that this handkerchief, by the way, whoever you were that ordered these for us, thank you, that was awesome. That wasn't Paul, okay. That was a trick. I was, you know, body language. <laughs> Thought maybe it was him. I'll get the, I've had to think about the next person who it might have been. No, I don't know. <clears throat> you know. But if this represents difficulty and negative stuff in my life, if we allow the negative things to consume us, it's kind of like we begin to look like this. Now, the truth is, I can still see you. Hey, Kissners, how you doing over there? Yeah, that's great. You know, right? I can still see you out of this side, too. Wow, that chick is beautiful. Oh, that's my daughter. Wow, you're lovely. Good to see you there. Right? Uh, but, but you can see from this illustration that it, it, it clearly skews my vision. Is that right? You know, and, and if this is my reality, if I've, if I've allowed this to kind of consume my focus, it, it's not like I can't deal with life. I can still see you. I can, I can still interact. But I don't have the same vision that I would have had before. There's something obstructing my view. There's something obstructing my ability to be able to move forward. And, and honestly, when, when this is my situation, little things begin to be disruptive. Little things that, had this not been in my vision, they, it would have never been really an issue to me, right? Uh, 
when it's like this, I can see that I've got this little you know, receptacle here on the edge, and I can go, okay, I need to avoid that lest I fall into the middle of the crowd, right? Like, I, I can see that, but if I've got this in front of me, this little thing that wouldn't have otherwise bothered me becomes now a tripping hazard in my life, right? This has become all-consuming, and it's actually beginning to skew my reality. And here's the thing with that. When this has become my all-consuming reality, remind you again, this is the negative, when you're getting caught up on the negative in your life, when this becomes my reality, everybody around me now can see that this is my skewed reality. Isn't that right? Like you can see, you're like, bro, you're, you're probably not seeing accurately here, right? You, <laughs> you got this thing, you know, it's probably skewing your vision just a little bit. But because it's all consuming to me, right? Like it, 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 it's almost as if when, when people begin to point out what is obvious, it, to you, if you're caught in this place where you're dwelling on the negative, to you, it, it almost, you receive it in a sense like people are being dismissive of your hurt and pain. You're like, and you're like, hello, can't you see the hanky? People are like, well, it's kind of small, actually. It's really, you're pro- it's probably skewing your perspective a little bit. Like, how dare you? How dare you not commensurate with me? We love the bandwagon. Do you remember that when you were in school? The marketing technique of the bandwagon? It, it seems to be human, basic human nature to get people onto your wagon, right? I, I want you to commensurate with me. I want to perpetuate my sense of pain by you recognizing that I've got this thing and recognizing that I'm now justified in tripping over stuff and having a little tissy fit and, and having, you know, like, getting caught up in the weeds and having some problems. I want you to be able to go, you're right, I validate that. And it gives me this excuse, it's like a scapegoat. You coming onto my bandwagon allows me to go, yep, see, I, 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 have, a, I have a right to hold on to this thing. I have a right to see my world like this. And I want you to, to validate that right. The longer we go with this thing over our vision, the more blind we become. The more blind we become to an escape from our reality. You know, the, 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 more, the more we get stuck in the depression of, the despair of, well, I guess this is the way it's always going to be. I, I guess this is normal my new normal. And it takes you into a really dark place where you begin to have hopelessness, you know, again, that that there's even any chance or possibility that your situation could be different than what it is that you're experiencing now. And, And because others see it as a small thing and you see it as this thing that's been hugely magnified in your life, it begins then to create a sense of isolation Because as they don't commensurate with you and they don't understand the pain that you're experiencing, you begin naturally to remove yourself and to create some distance. Because them not acknowledging the hanky that you're seeing life through is continuing to perpetuate pain as far as you're concerned. And now you're alone. And the enemy wants to leverage everything against you to keep you alone and isolated and broken, feeling like a failure, feeling like it's never going to get better, it's never going to change. And we know this is a strategy of the enemy. We see it in the parable of the sheep, right? 
the, the wolf you know, comes in and he's looking for the one sheep that gets separated from the pack? Why? Because they're the most vulnerable. See, we, we, we see the strategy of the enemy all over this thing. But for some reason, we tend to partner with it and go there anyways, right into the place of despair. How many of you know there's a better way? How many of you know today that that's not the pathway that you have to go on? You don't have to, you don't, listen, if this has been your pattern, and by the way, this pattern begins to affect everybody in your life. Because as I'm seeing this thing like this, like not, not only do other things become bigger tripping hazards than they would have been otherwise, you know, people become bigger tripping hazards than they would have otherwise. Right? All of a sudden, my grace begins to wear down, and that's going to affect my marriage. My grace begins to wear down, and I'm like, kids, please, for the love of all things, can you just be quiet? I just need, I just need some sanity in my house. <laughs> Your grace begins to wear thin because you're not seeing your world like God's seeing your world. You've become out of sync with reality, but there is a better way. Philippians chapter 4, this is the other thing that we do. We have a... Sanctify it, Lord. Jesus' name. I have no idea whose bottle of water that is. (laughs) Thanks, Corey. Where are you? I'm going to set that down here. I've tainted it now with my lips. This one's officially mine. There you go. Anybody else do that? I took a drink of my daughter's cup the other day. I was like, shoot. She wasn't feeling good. And I was like, Lord Jesus, thank you for health and life. You sanctify it even after the fact, you know. Feeling good, by the way, today. The Lord did, in fact, sanctify that water. You're gross. Don't leave your stuff around. I'll drink it. (laughs) Sometimes we twist the scripture. We're like... You know, I, I heard you talk about this Philippians 4, this should be a life verse for us, and, and so you, you kind of, you're looking for a justification to continue to do what you've always done, <laughs> and, and like, how do I know this is happening? Because I've talked with some of you, been here a while. <laughs> right? So Philippians 4, it starts out, finally, brethren, whatever is true, and you're like, yeah, I'll tell you what's true, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what's true, it's true that those people hurt me. That's a, that's a bona fide fact. <laughs> you want to know what else is true? There are a bunch of jack wagons over there. That's right. You know, you know they robbed from me. They stole from me. They slandered. You want to know what's true? That's right. I'm dwelling on what's true. Thank you. <laughs> like, right? And, I, and you move along. Then I, like, whatever is honorable, whatever is right. I tell you what's right. I'm right. I'm right, and they're wrong. You want to know what's right? They're wrong, and I'm right. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like what else is right? I'll tell you what's right. I'm a victim here. That's what's right. It's easy for us to take these scriptures and to twist them around, and even as we're praying them back to God, get ourselves sucked right back into the exact same patterns. I think you know that that's not what Philippians 4 is saying. Oh, you didn't know. Okay, now you know. It's not an opportunity or a, or a license, you know, to try to somehow manipulate that word into giving yourself excuse to continue to maintain the same patterns that you've been in, the same patterns of negativity, the same patterns of negativity that, if left unchecked, will lead you into the pit of despair and isolation. 
that will leave you potentially marooned in your faith. It's not a license for that. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. We're given a command here to guard our minds and to operate in a very, very different way. Excuse me. God's calling us, no matter what we face, no matter what's going on, to focus on the good, to go after the good, to fill our minds and our hearts with the good. Now, listen to this. This is the most important thing I'll say all day. And there's always something good. There's always something good. There's always something good in the person who you think is opposing you at the moment. There's always something good. Now listen, if you're in the thick of it right now, I know that you're sitting there like, <laughs> that's not true at all. Actually, I hate you. I, I get it. I, I, I've been there. I remember the very first time that God called me to begin to focus on the good in a person who I felt particularly painful at the moment. You know, and, and I understand I understand how you can feel lost in that. I can understand how your emotions are through the roof, you know, how you feel a victim, how you feel like you've been justified, you've been hurt, all these things, right? I get it. I've I've been there. I've done that. I understand that really well. But I'll tell you this. There is always something good And yes, this is a practice that goes beyond circumstances and does apply to individuals who you maybe feel are particularly painful at the moment. We're required, there's never ever a license in scripture ever to to dwell on that which is negative. Rather, we have the prescription to dwell on the good. So we come into this place with Holy Spirit and partnership and maturity and in humility and we say, God, show me. Maybe I don't feel like I've got the capacity, but you see from a different perspective and you partner with God in maturity and in humility to allow him to change your perspective and to change your focus and to cause you like an arrow shot from a bow to go after that which is a good report, that which is good. And again, I guarantee you there's always something good. God is always moving. His kingdom is always advancing. It's never retreating. The kingdom flags like the American flag. Did you know that on our soldiers? Like it's like, it looks like it's inverted, but they said it's inverted because we don't ever retreat. We're always advancing. And so the flag looks like it's blowing because they're going forward. That's the kingdom of God right there. The kingdom of God is never retreating. It's always advancing. And there's always something good. And we are called to partner with God to step into a place of maturity, to identify in them that goodness, and then to begin to also partner with God to call it out. I don't have time to excavate it today, but I also believe this is where we get in the the section in Matthew chapter 18 that's talking about binding and loosing. Go back and read through it. It's in the context actually of relationship. And this is part and parcel with that. It's I'm refusing to partner with the demonic and to get myself lost in the weeds on this thing. I'm going to rejoice with you, God. I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to begin to identify and call out the good in the individual and in our situation, whatever that is that you're facing today. You can do it. You can do it because he's closer than a brother. (laughs) You can do it because he lives on the inside of you and he's strengthening you. 
You can do it because you're no longer a sinner, but you're a saint. And he's empowered you to do what previously you could not do. Well, this is one of the things that he's empowering you to do. What we also have in Philippians chapter 4 is really a, a pattern. It's a pattern that, that God has given us. Of course, you've obviously already begun to identify that. It's a pattern for how we live life and engage with others, and we engage with, with situations and circumstances. And, and the, the pattern basically looks like this. Sucky situation, big God, give it to him, trust him. It's pretty easy, right? This is why I asked if you're alive. Yeah, it's better. It preaches better than it lives, or easier, not better, but easier, right? You're like, wait, let me get this right. Okay, so this is painful, this is God. Bigger than anything I'll ever face. Bigger than any mountain. Bigger than any persecution. Bigger than any resistance. Bigger than any pit that you might fall into. Bigger than any sin you've committed. This is God we're talking about. I give it to him. I trust him. And here's the last, the last part of it. This is the pattern. And I walk away. <laughs> I trust God. And I walk away. That's the pattern that we've got actually in Philippians 4. Let's look at verse 6. It says this. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. These are some of the verses we skipped last week. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, the word anxious there is, is actually a word that lends itself to the idea of tending to something. So if you could just imagine for a second that you are tending to your roses. Uh, yeah, I was raised by my mom, so I'm actually not a whole man. <laughs> and I like pink, just so you know. No, that's not true, John. That's not true. That was a lie. I just felt comedic at the moment. <laughs> I'm teasing, but it's only because you guys don't act alive. So that I have to, I have to go to the depths of my... You know, opportunities here to excavate some sense of something, you know, just to stir it up. Imagine I'm tending to my roses. Uh, obviously, if I'm tending to roses, it, it, it takes my time. Fair? Uh, it, it takes some sense of, of devotion by me. It's consuming some measure of, of thought. I'm, I'm, I'm considering, you know, oh, the, the Japanese beetles come this time of year. <laughs> You know, this is when the aphids break loose. I, I need to make sure I stop by Lowe's and get some seven dust or whatever it is that you guys do. Canola oil and water. It's a thing. You know, right? But it's consuming some measure of my thought process. It's taking some measure of, of energy for, uh, from me. It, it's taking some measure of my attention. And I'm necessarily devoting myself to making sure that this thing is maintained in my life. But this says, be anxious for nothing. It's speaking of something that would be in the negative sense. Obviously, we're to tend to our love, our families, and so forth. It's speaking of this in the negative sense. Don't tend to nurture or devote any brain space to that which is negative. 
Like it's suggesting to you that we're not ever supposed to take the space of our brain and our hearts and occupy it with negative stuff, even if that negative stuff is us trying to present it back to the Lord in prayer. How many of you know I can still be negative in the place of prayer and I'm not really accomplishing a whole lot? I'm just ranting and being negative to God. God already knew my problem before I went and ran it to him. What did I really accomplish in that moment? Right? So suggesting here, like, be anxious for nothing. Don't, you know, don't invest any brain space to something that's negative or to a need that you've got. No, instead, follow the pattern. It's not that you don't have a need. Of course you've got a need, but follow the pattern. Take your need, present it to the Lord. By the way, prayer, as it calls us to, is simply just having a conversation with God. Okay? If you have the ability to maintain a conversation with another human being, then you have the ability to maintain a conversation with God, even if it's out loud in the public. That's all prayer is. Supplication is a request. So it's a type of prayer. So with prayer and supplication, I'm coming to God. I'm coming to, I'm opening up a dialogue. Father, you're so good. Thank you. I have this need. And it's a painful one. Thank you very much. I'm going to leave that right there for you to deal with. Be anxious for nothing. Not even in the place of prayer are we to allow the negative to consume our brain space. Is that making sense? How many of you know it's very difficult for us to maintain the peace that God promised us in this scripture? If we're constantly picking stuff back up, even if we're constantly picking it back up and going after the place of prayer. I'll submit this to you. If I'm constantly picking something back up and I'm frantically going back to God, no, God, I really need you. You got to take care of this situation. The pain hasn't gone anywhere. It's like there's this thing I'm dealing with. My finances have just like liquidated. They're gone. I don't even know what's happening. I don't know that I'm going to pay my rent. And and another day goes by. Oh, God, I still don't know if I'm going to pay my rent. Are you going to do anything about that? Like, am I walking in faith? You know, and so I would submit to you that that if I'm continuing to pick it back up and I'm continuing to go to God in, in that manner, that it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, for me to step into the promised peace that He has for me. No, I have to actually leave it there with Him. And I have to trust that He's going to deal with it. Now, if you're anything like me, you're probably going, what about the persistent widow? All right, bunch of theologians. <laughs> what about the persistent widow? Do you remember her? The widow comes to the unrighteous judge. The, uh, in this part of, of history, as I understand it, uh, the widow actually under the law was, was guaranteed services which the judge was to render. And so the fact that he's actually not serving her uh, is why it's calling him an unrighteous judge, right? So this is an injustice that's happening in the story. There's an injustice. She is not getting what the law requires that she should get. And this one man, this judge is the one standing in the way, right? That's the story. And we remember that the, that the woman, she keeps coming to him, and the Bible is talking about how annoying she is. That's what it says. Like, this woman was so, like, ridiculous night and day. She's coming. She's harassing this judge, right? We pick up in Luke chapter 18, verse 4. This is the response of the judge. He says, even though I do not fear God, nor respect man, 
Yet because this widow bothers me, what's it saying? She's annoying. I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the righteous judge said. Now will not, excuse me, the unrighteous, thank you. Hear what the unrighteous judge said, verse 7. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? Now listen to this. This is important. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's a curious thing to leave right there. The first thing that we need to understand about the persistent widow is that God's actually making a contrast between, and we should get this intuitively, the unrighteous judge and his righteous nature. But what we usually do instead is we go, oh, so basically this is saying I have to annoy God. So I have to keep coming back to God over and over and over again, praying the same prayer, asking for the same thing if I'm to get results. Okay, I got it. I'm supposed to be the persistent widow. No, we've got it completely wrong. He's making a contrast between God who is righteous and the unrighteous judge who is not stepping in and giving her what she is due. Why in the world does he end that whole package with that whole passage with, well, but when I come back, will there be any faith on the earth? What does that have to do with the other? What is he really saying? I would submit to you, this is actually the bigger point he's trying to make. Because if I'm continuing to come back to God, like over and over again, oh, I think I, first of all, you don't, our natural conclusion of the scripture shouldn't be that I have to wear God out or annoy him in order to get an answer to prayer. That's, that's not what this is saying to you. That's the unrighteous judge's character. In fact, in contrast, he's saying, if the judge being evil relented and finally did what is right, how much more would I, your God, who's a good father, give to you what you need right now? That's what he's saying. That's the, po- that's the point of it. But will I find faith on the earth? Why is he inserting that into the scripture? Because I think that when we continue to come back to God and we're like, oh, I need justice for this God. I need this to happen again and again and again and again. We're actually thinking that and supposing that because of our many words, God will eventually give us what we're asking. But I think instead God's actually calling us, like it says in Philippians, to stand in faith and to come in and go, I've got this situation. (laughs) Yep, I know you knew about it. And I know that you know my need before I ever even ask. Man, I know that you're really good. (laughs) And I know that you're really big. That everything is like small compared to you. Like you're infinitely good, infinitely wise. You are infinitely capable of taking care of this need that I now have. And boy, I'm tempted to see it like this. I'm tempted to get into the weeds over this thing, God. But I trust you, and I'm giving it over to you. And because I, at my core, believe that you are really good, that you're for me, and that you're very capable and desirous of this, that you're a just God, then you're not a man that you should lie. I know you got this, and I'm going to leave it with you. And what about the persistence? I think there's a place for persistence. 
But if you're persisting against God with a lack of faith, you've missed the whole point. My persistence in God comes rather from a place of faith, and I think that's what we get out of the next verse in Philippians chapter 4. He says this again, just to reiterate. This is verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, so I'm not going to tend to any negative thought, even if that's in the place of prayer. I'm not going to give any space to that. Like, I'm going to continue just to focus on him and whatsoever is good and lovely and pure and has a good rapport and so forth, right? That's where I'm going to lock myself in. I'm not going to tend to anything, but in everything with prayer, I'm having a conversation I'm initiating with God and supplication. I'm now bringing a request to him with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Let your request be known to him, right? With thanksgiving. Where does the thanksgiving come from? The thanksgiving comes from, I trust you, God. And I'm depositing this with you. And now I'm going to call back on my history. I remember when you showed up and you did this then. Man, I remember when you turned this other situation around. What's happening? I'm building faith. I'm causing myself to turn back off of the negative report and onto the good report. What's the good report? He's always been faithful. I remember when you showed up. I remember when you said this. I remember when you did this. Maybe even bring a prophetic word and you declared this, God. You're so good. You're so faithful and kind. You're going to do everything that you said that you're going to do. We believe in you, God. I'm calling on my history with him, right? And I submit this request to you. And I'm asking that you would move on it, God. And I thank you that you've heard me. And that if you've heard me, I have the request that I've asked of you. Reminds me of a scripture I read once. I thank you that you're with me. I thank you that you're for me. I thank you that you got this. I thank you that this thing is, it pales compared to you. Your arm is not so short that it can't reach and cover this situation. You're, you're not, you, don't, you don't lack any goodness. You're not a man that you should lie. I thank you, God. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for who you have always been to me. I thank you that you've got this situation under control. Now, if that thing begins to creep up in your heart the next day, you're like, oh, crap, I gave this already to the Lord. Sorry, that's maybe a bad word for some of you. It's not for me, so there you go. <clears throat> It is for my kids, though. I tell them, no, I can't do that. <laughs> Privileges of being 40-something. And now I don't know where I was at. There you go. That's what you get for saying. <laughs> Thank you. The next day. Sometimes people have the Holy Spirit and become your Holy Spirit and help you along. God speaks through people. That's the point. You know, the next day, if the next day that stuff creeps back up in your heart, and you're like, oh, I thought I gave this stuff over to the Lord. You just move back into thankfulness. You're not moving back into the place where you're filling yourself with the negative all over again. Oh, I thought. No, you're not praying with faith. What's more important, prayer? Excuse me, what's more important, faith or persistence? It's impossible to believe God apart from faith. It doesn't say that about persistence, at least not that I know of. Faith is more important. The persistence comes out of faith, not out of desperation, not out of hopelessness, not out of any. I'm submitting my request to him. I'm moving into thankfulness. If that thing creeps up again, I just remind myself of what he's already said. 
Father, I thank you that you got this. I thank you that you've got this. You got it all under control. I thank you that you have perfect timing. And I don't even need to know what that is, by the way. You got this. And, and I'm going to rest in that place knowing that you're for me, that you've got this situation covered, that you work all things for good. And you know what? That thankfulness causes me to apply another scripture that we know so well. Count it all joy, brethren. How in the world do I count it all joy? I can count it all joy when I've stepped into gratefulness. I'm grateful for you, God. You've never left me or forsaken me, not a day in my life. You're closer than a brother. You've seen everything that's going on, and you're infinitely wise and amazing, and you've got this thing. I thank you, God, for this. I thank you for this. I'm rejoicing that whatever this is, you're going to work it for good. Even the enemy, when he thought he was pulling something over on you with the whole work of the cross, <laughs> even that, the worst situation the world has ever seen on the planet, even that, you worked for good. You pulled the wool right over the enemy's eyes. The one who we think knows some things didn't know Jack, and you got him, God, and you're going to get him again. You're going to get him again and again because you're for me, and you're working on my behalf, and I'm not going to get it into the I'm not going to get in the place where I'm dwelling on negative. You don't give me a place in scripture to be able to do that. There's no place for me to do that. I just have a place where I get to rejoice and everything rejoice. Why am I rejoicing? Because he's really good. Because I have history. Because he loves me. And I can stand in faith. And my faith moves mountains when I partner it with God. <laughs> this is the pattern that we find <clears throat> in Philippians. This is what he's calling us to. Remember, we're not going to wear God out <laughs> with our many words. He's righteous, not unrighteous. In fact, Paul wants me really bad to read Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. <clears throat> it says this, And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Now, there's so many ways that we can interpret this, but I can tell you this. God's not going to hear you better because of your many words. Oh, God, I prayed yesterday, and I'm going to pray again, but not in faith. That's just us believing it if we just pray enough, you know? And we have doctrines that surround all of this kind of stuff, and there's truth behind it. Like, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just filling up the bowls in heaven, and eventually they're going to tip. Right, so step into faith. You understand? It's not persistence, it's faith, and faith produces persistence. It's not the other way around. All persistence does outside of faith is produce desperation and a heart that grows sick and deferment. I thought you were going to show up by now, but you haven't shown up. I'm getting heart sick, God. Because you're not approaching by faith, you're simply approaching by persistence. And I think most of us when we pray with our many words of repetition, we're not praying from faith. We're just praying from persistence. What's the result of us following the pattern? Verse 7, Philippians chapter 4. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why is the peace of God guarding my mind? Because I followed the pattern. I had this negative stuff going on. I had this really big God who's never left, never missed a beat. And I'm taking all the stuff and I'm handing it to him 
I'm moving into thankfulness. And I can rejoice knowing that he's got it, that his timing is perfect, that he is immeasurable, you know, that, that he's immeasurably for me. I can move into gratefulness. I can move into a place of thanksgiving. And even the thanksgiving stirs faith in my heart when I keep myself there. Like, oh, I'm starting to waver. No, I thank you, God. And I can stir my faith right back up. Recall his history all over again. I'm not dwelling on the negative. I'm doing what Philippians 4 said. I'm dwelling on the good stuff. Your history with God is the good stuff. His faithfulness, that's the good stuff. And it provokes me into thanksgiving all over again. And my thanksgiving provokes me into rejoicing and faith. And when I have faith, I can do anything. I can do all things through my Lord Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Father, this morning, I know inevitably we've got folks who are hurting and they're perpetuating in their lives this negative cycle that leads to desperation and hopelessness because they've gotten blinded by the negativity of the situation or the negativity of their spouse or the negativity of a, uh, somebody in their sphere of influence or, uh, I said circumstances already, they're getting blinded by it such that it's all they can see. I'm asking, Son of God, that you would burn with your rays, that you would, would melt away every bit of mist and fog, the fog that comes when people get into that pit of despair. They believe that they can't hear you. Melt it away in their lives, God shift their perspective. I ask that you would release grace over them right now, especially those who have been at this, this negative pattern of thinking for a very long time. You would shift them on their axis right now, that you would begin to, even as they sleep, God, that you would do surgery, begin to remove the negative perspective and replace it with your divine perspective, with your high way of thinking. We're asking that you would move. And Jesus... We thank you that none of these situations have escaped your notice. We thank you that you are moving on their behalf, whether they're seeing it or not. You are moving. You are working behind the scenes. You're bigger than anything that they face. And we thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.